0: Hello, everyone. My name is Anady Nicola, and this is my History of the World Object Project. Our item for this podcast is one you'd have been lucky to have been able to purchase, and that would help you greatly in the quick-moving and advancing world of technology in Europe. If you haven't yet read the title, I'll give it away for you. This item is a pocket watch from the late 17th century. More specifically, likely somewhere around 1690 found on the British Museum's A History of the World webpage. A more detailed description of the watch is also provided on the site and goes as follows. This example has a very elaborate design of silver inlay in a tortoise shell case. What makes this more extraordinary is that this was all made with hand tools and without the aid of artificial light. The very intricate design of leaves and flowers was very carefully created, and one mistake would have ruined the whole case. So let's get into breaking that down a little bit. Asia for Educators explains that around this time, Europeans dominating Mexico and Peru were supplying somewhere around 85% of the world's silver and trading it to other parts of the world, namely China and its lack of precious metals, in exchange for silks, porcelains, teas, etc. At some point, however, the Europeans became weary of giving away these large amounts of silver to countries in Eastern Asia, and they cut back on the portion that they gave away, replacing the missing metal most often with opium. The silver Europe saved in this process was hoarded and likely used in the making and expensive pricing of this very artifact. The watch was crafted by Joseph Windmills, a clockmaker in late 17th century London. The j t Windmills Historical website claims that he was considered one of the best of his time, and explained that he was crowned the youngest ever warden of his clockmaking company in 1699, which is likely after the watch was made, categorizing it as some of his earlier work, which is especially impressive considering the noted intricacy of the carvings on its case. For these reasons, it is also safe to assume that the reason for the watch's creation was originally just a work of Joseph Windmills' passion for clockmaking. When he passed away in 1724, he left his clockmaking legacy behind to his son, Thomas Windmills, which is the T in the J and T Windmills' historical website, who had no children and was the last, actually, of the male family bloodline. So to further expand on the description of the watch, it is important to again note the precision necessary to create the pattern carvings on the clock tortoise shell exterior, which was also likely imported from outside of London, as tortoises have never been native to the United Kingdom. Um, As a reminder, the British Museum notes that these engravings were done by hand and with no artificial light, meaning that Things like the time of day and the steadiness of Joseph Windmill's hands were significant risk factors in how the watch would turn out in the end. Um, And because of its complexities, the demand for time-telling devices in the 1600s, and the materials that it adorns, the watch was undoubtedly a very, very expensive piece that few had the ability to purchase, as I said before. So for comparison, even the most generic watch in London around this time would have been hard to come across. Um, and this is highlighted by a survey in comparison of luxury item ownership in the 18th century Dutch Cape Colony by Johan Fury and Yolandi Hughes of Stellenbosch University, which illustrated that timepieces were not common in such an area around 1685. Scientific American's 37th volume, Written in 1877, gives us a thorough history of the clock itself and explains the need for timekeeping has always been an issue. People have always needed a timekeeping mechanism. That's no secret. Um, whether it's for meetings or work or church, you know, where whatever it may be, and promptness was especially important as London advanced in technology, built more factories, and neared and finally entered its first industrial revolution. Um clocks started as big machines in churches or monasteries and they were a general aid to the public. Um bells could also be used to alert civilians that another hour or so had passed. But however generations eventually made them smaller and smaller and thankfully much more accessible as we can see today by our selection of wristwatches, pocket watches, you name it. So the first watches were made entirely of steel and iron with shockingly no glass usage until 16, 15, somewhere around there. Before then, sundials, which would track time based on the position of the sun, were very popular. The light would shine down and cast a shadow over the bridge in the center, therefore giving a rough estimate at the time of day. Another point from Scientific American's 37th volume that may also be surprising to you is that unlike this watch, early time telling devices often Often did not have minute hands. In fact, when the minute hand was introduced and became popular, it was placed on the side of the clock opposite the hour hand until 1687, when the hands were finally made concentric. And this was something that I was very surprised to find out um, that even the timekeeping mechanisms they had back then, these watches that they were putting together, um, they weren't amazingly accurate, which is not the newest revelation, but it's also just something to keep in mind. And I thought was really interesting to put in here because they had no way of getting it down to the minute because they thought that the minute hand could just be placed opposite the hour hand. Um, And this makes Joseph Windmill's work all the more interesting and admirable for his time, especially considering that he began his clockmaking career, like he made his first clock. We think in 1680, So this means that his first works could have very well had this minute-hour-hand confliction as well. Um, The Open University shares with us one more unconventional method of timekeeping, which was the profession known as a knocker-up. People who would be hired to knock on a person's window with a long stick to wake or alert them for the day's events. The profession actually lasted a considerably long time, which only contributed to the demand of widely available pocket watches. And pocket watches have done their job. In his work, The Intriguing Complications of Pocket Watches in the Literature of the Long 18th Century, Marcus Tomlin writes, the increasing prevalence of pocket watches in the long 18th century greatly facilitated the process by which time telling became personalized and privatized. And I'll repeat that because it is a very bold claim to be making, but he's correct it facilitated the process by which time-telling became personalized and privatized. So watches have played numerous roles, useful roles in maintaining structure and ease across the world, including the incredibly time-dependent business of the American Railroad, um, though transportation globally was boosted with the implementation of pocket watches, as explained in The Evolution of the American Railroad Watch by Thomas L. DeFazio and Marking Modern Times by Alexis McCrossin. And remember her name because she's coming back later. Sadly, however, it is likely that the owner of this specific watch made by windmills would have been one of the few to have access to the time of day at the ready because of the era and price, as I already mentioned before. So back to Alexis McCrossin. Um, She shares the overall meaning of an artifact such as this in another of her works. It's called The Very Delicate Construction of Pocket Watches and Time Consciousness in the 19th Century United States. Um, Now, in case you're wondering what this watch has to do with the United States or the 19th century, the answer is really not much. However, McCrossin's message remains the same, even in the 17th and 18th century London. A watch from the past carries with it a historical retelling, as does any artifact, but watches specifically. So the time it stopped working, how damaged it is and what materials it was made out of and where it was found, those all contribute to uncovering these little tiny secrets of the past. So if you take an old tiny pocket watch such as this one, it tells us more about, let's say, the European trade of silvers and other precious metals and animal products like the tortoise shell that the casing of the watch was made out of um, in the late 1600s. And about who made these types of artifacts, like Joseph Windmills and the clockmakers that he worked with, and all about the clockmakers' meticulous and pricey craft, and the accessibility of the craft to different classes in London, and the importance of time telling worldwide with the railroad, as we mentioned, with the knockers up, and how people just kept track of their time. And it is for these reasons that I would certainly count Joseph Windmill's 19—I'm sorry, 1690s—London pocket watch with a significant artifact in world history.